And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. I'm very excited to be joined today with Mr. Connor Burke from Inscribe. We're going to be talking about fraud detection today and how um, I imagine there's a lot of different companies where fraud is a, is a big issue and um, they have some some expertise and solutions to help with that. Excited to learn more about their business. Um, before we do get started today, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Equip Bids Auctions, your Midwest online auction marketplace to buy and sell stuff. Equip Bid provides dedicated support to affiliates in Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa. Join the team and sell everything from heavy machinery to home goods, vehicles, and boats to tractors and furniture. Go to equip-bid.me backslash startup for details or just click the link in the show notes. So, Connor, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. So, I see here you're the one of the co-founders and the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer of Inscribe. Did, did I hear earlier it's uh, you and your brother started the company? Yeah, so my twin brother Ronan and I founded Inscribe five years ago, which, as you can imagine, definitely provides for a unique founder relationship, but uh, yeah. it's been a real superpower for us. Are you guys identical twins? We're not identical, but many people do have difficulties in deter- or distinguishing between us. Um, so yeah, we do have a little guide internally on how to, uh, you know, a few tips and tricks uh, internally to Inscribe how to tell us apart. So we're, uh, the company I work at, it's called Camp Digital and our CEO, her name's Katie. Um, she has a twin sister named Meg and Meg is also one of the executives of the company. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they do some shit to people. <laughs> You'll be on a, we'll be on a zoom call and one of them will get out of the chair and then the other one will come sit down and you're like, wait a second, hold on. <laughs> is that Katie or Meg? So I'm, I'm sure that that always, uh, makes for some fun, fun moments. So, um, Tell me, um, how, how did you guys come to start Inscribe? Did you guys um, working in an industry that had a lot of issues with fraud and, and you, you guys said, hey, you know what, we need to go solve this problem? Or, or how did you guys get started with this? Yeah, good question. So it was actually during my college years. Uh, I was in university studying, studying engineering and had this opportunity to work at one of the national banks in Ireland. And obviously very young in my career, I was tasked um, in the, you know, one of the back office teams with trying to try to apply some technology to some back office operations. So as you can imagine, this was like a very boring, uh, mundane kind of environment where people are doing a lot of manual work. And it was really this like early experience for me that just showed, um, just how, like, yeah, I guess how backwards a lot of uh, financial institutions still were in, you know, uh, the, this was 2018, 2019, and that was a real nexus for us to um, really start asking questions. You know, why why is financial services still so backwards in so many ways? And relating this then to our, some of our own experiences with applying for bank accounts, checking accounts, or credit cards, 
anytime you're told to wait a couple of days or wait a week, we'll, we'll get back to you. There's usually something going on behind the scenes that's saying uh, where like people are involved or you're in some queue or you're in a backlog. And this kind of frustration was really the um, combined with my own kind of experience in this back office team of a bank where it was the you know original idea that uh, spurred us on to, to, to try to solve this with our engineering background and our, and our skills in technology. So at that bank, were they processing, say, thousands of, of loan documents a month and like 5% of them would be fraud? Or like how, how, how much fraud did, were they running into? Yeah, exactly. So there is essentially there are thousands of these applications coming in a day for things like credit cards, savings accounts, and so, and so on. And what, we, uh, what the team were really tasked with was for each of these applicants uh, trying to, yeah, one, determine are they... Um, are they fraudulent or not? Or do they actually intend to repay this loan or be a good user? And two, what's their ability to repay this loan or, you know, be a good customer? And you, yeah, as you're, as you noted there, around like 5% on average of these applicants that you do process today are fraudulent. And this brings up a real tough challenge for a lot of these companies in that it's really hard to find that 5% out of that 100%. You, you need to really look uh, at a lot of details, uh, look at a lot of data. And for a lot of the more traditional financial institutions out there, they, they haven't really adopted the same um, or the adequate level of technology to make that easier. So there was, um, you know, lots of fraud, but also lots of delays that were that were still occurring at that time. So why, so why would people be doing the fraud to begin with? Is it mostly um, identity theft where it's like I stole my neighbor's information and applied for a credit card and then I went and spent all the money on the card and left them with the bill basically like is it mostly identity theft or like what kind of fraud were, were people trying to to do here yeah as you can imagine people get quite creative here I think it's useful to look at fraud in two buckets one is first party fraud and then the second is third party fraud so in the case of first party fraud this is where um, a person is applying under their own identity, but just wants to get a slightly bigger loan to buy that slightly more expensive car or that uh, get a slightly better mortgage. And these people are, uh, let's say, just inflating their income slightly or if they're taking out a loan for their business, um, inflating or misre- misrepresenting misrepresenting some part of their business. And this is quite common. And we, we call this internally like almost like opportunistic fraud. So people are taking um, or like making these maybe like once off fraudulent claims. On the other side, then you have third-party fraud, and this is where, um, yeah, yeah, identities are usually stolen, but sometimes fake identities are are created from scratch. So, for example, um, is someone could, for example, steal your identity? They might get access to your credit score and then apply for a loan, and then uh, you know run away with the money, and then you'd be stuck with that with, with that cash. I think uh, kind of like another subcategory of third-party fraud is also synthetic identity, where People are essentially creating fake people um, from scratch where they take some real details. So they, they might take, let's say, your email address plus your um, where you live plus maybe your SSN number and put all those together. And each of those are real, like SSN number is real, the email address is real, but they don't all correspond to the same identity. And that can often pass through a lot of fraud detection systems. Um, and then again, that's another you know really common um, way of way of committing fraud that these i guess more professional fraudsters would be would be using so you you would consider it, it to both be fraud if 
I just basically lied about my income versus stealing somebody else's identity. Identity. Those are both considered fraud. There's not really a a, yep. a big differentiation there. Exactly. Of course, there is a um, you know in some cases the outcome may be different. So if you do if you do are doing first party fraud and you do intend on repaying, uh, the effect isn't as bad on the financial institution or the fraud losses won't be as large. Uh, but yeah, it's still still considered fraud, and you know it's definitely something that these banks want to catch before uh, before it gets too big of a problem. So, how did you guys set out to solve this problem? Is this kind of a um, mm. a mix of like doing background checks and things like that? Like, how do you how, how do you how do you, how would you even know my income to validate that I put it in the right information on the loan? Like, how, so how, how did you guys set out to solve this? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think fraud detection is interesting in that a lot of it is based on what data are you looking at. So we're all probably very familiar with, um, you know, looking at uh, IP addresses or looking at device information or even, um, let's say, sanctions lists and so on, where essentially just lists online are like known fraud, fraudulent entities. Um, So our kind of approach to Inscribe was trying to look at data that nobody has really looked at before. And for us in this case was um, looking at the information or the artifacts in, in, in the documents that are usually supplied during applications to financial services companies. So these documents like bank statements or tax documents or utility bills. These, these have like certain artifacts in them that can be used to um, you know, catch fraud and look for patterns. So instead of um, let's say a, um, you know, traditional fraud detection system, maybe doing, um, let's say, ID verification check. We're looking at, let's say, a bank statement and trying to figure out, was this tampered in any way? You know, uh, was there evidence of Photoshop on this on this document? Was, um, is this document just completely fabricated and actually doesn't really make any sense at all? Um, to a human, let's say, these would look all real, but um, really behind the scenes, you can start to dig a bit deeper into how this, how essentially every document you receive um, was created um, and you know whether it matches what you expect, and this gave us a new lens into um, applications, which allowed us to you know catch fraud that our customers were not catching before. So your guys' solution isn't just based on taking the inputs on the applications, but actually looking at the physical you know documents that come along with the loan application. Yeah. So the. We, we kind of split up into a few different areas. So when you apply online for a um, a loan or financial service product, you'll often have to supply documents of some sort. And we'd, um, we'd look at these documents as, you know, one as a file itself. So say this digital file where it's a PDF or a PNG or a JPEG. And we do a whole series of analysis on those files. So how the document was created, looking at the pixels and so on. But then also looking at the information within the documents. So these documents are usually quite rich sources of uh, information. So they have things like names, addresses, dates, account numbers. In bank statements, you have a whole series of transactions. Um, this all paints a really, really accurate picture of you know an identity, which we then use to um, catch fraud. So we look for anomalies, we look for discrepancies, we look for um, identities or entities within these documents that are um, you know, on known lists of fraudsters, and then we alert users to those. So, what what kind of um, fraud rate do people get to when they use your product? So, if it's normally a kind of five as an industry, you know, benchmark or whatever, if they use your guys' solution, 
what are they able to get their fraud down to? Yeah, well, the um, with, with Inscribe, we usually capture around yeah five percent, uh, or we see a flag rate around five percent. Uh, but on average, you know, depending on the particular subsector of financial services, um, you know, we've seen customers get down to you know one or one and a half percent in terms of actual losses that they have to take on their balance sheet. Um, which uh, uh, I will say it sounds small, but let's say if you're giving out maybe a billion dollars of loans every year as a financial service company or multiple, multiple billions, um, these kind of fraud losses as well as credit losses quickly add up to, you know, significant volumes or significant, you know, uh, dollar values. Um, yeah. So I had somebody on our podcast recently, one of our guests, their last name was Default. And I know somebody else, their last name is Null. I'm going to guess your guys' <laughs> software does not like them. <laughs> That's very unfortunate. Yeah. Even uh, even if I was a bank, I'd be, uh, it would definitely have some subconscious bias in me if someone's second name was default. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. Quite, quite unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I think they said it was a French, it was a French last name that was, you know, not super common, but, you know, there were lots of French people that had that had that last name. So it was interesting. interesting. I've Although, never heard that uh, before. Yeah, I will say it, it, that is actually an interesting point in that, you know, something that's core to Inscribe is, you know, we want to create a fair and efficient and fair and efficient financial service industry. So it's not just necessarily about, um, you know, reducing the time it takes to get back to customers. It's also uh, trying to make it fair. So trying to take some of that bias out. So maybe if you were a, a person looking at a loan with a second name of default, that may subconsciously bias you. But if you're a machine, you know, we haven't, uh, no machine is necessarily um, been trained to recognize the word default as a name, as a suspicious name. So well, when you guys also process people looking for names are on like known terrorist lists and, you know, all that kind of stuff too, though. Yeah. So I guess um, if there, uh, if there was, let's say an error in the list where default or let's say null was mentioned. Yeah. Uh, yeah that would be quite unfortunate. Like uh, I have a, I have another friend, her first name, her legal first name is ISIS. And uh, yeah, she's, she has had all sorts of problems because her name is ISIS. <laughs> you yeah. Know? It's a, uh, it's a challenge. And I think you, you often hear stories too, where, um, yeah, people with certain names or certain, let's say their, their name might accidentally be on a list. They have to go through a whole series of, uh, you know, painful bureaucracy to get their name off that list or, yeah. um, you know, to, to get, to always get through to like exception handling. It's like an airport when you get asked to do like second screening, um, is yeah, this creates like a really bad experience, um, in this financial service industry. So yeah, I will say that there are a lot of companies, including Inscribe that are trying to remove all these exceptions and like take this out of the way. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully these people are, um, yeah, seeing this experience improve. So what, what kind of, I imagine that the problem you guys, one of the problems you guys are going to have is you're always fighting against like false positives, right? Like you're flagging 5%, but like a portion of those are people with these kinds of names or whatever. And like your, your guys' software just, it's never going to be perfect. Um, so what what happened? I'm just curious. What happens to those people if their loan application gets flagged by your software? Are they are they just kind of screwed, or just ends up in a bunch of manual further further? Yeah, that's uh, a really good question. We've worked really hard over the last number of years to to try to tackle this, and um, you know, initially we have we've used this score essentially, so we can give a score back about you know, just how confident we are that something is either re- like 100% legitimate or, you know, absolutely fraudulent. And 
this gives us confidence uh, for certain for large portions of the populations or of our um, applicants that come to our systems about whether they can accept or reject. And in the cases where, let's say, we're less sure, usually in the case where that these, there's more likely to be false positives there, we can recommend for a manual review to to take a look at those. So as you mentioned, yeah, false positives is um, a really important topic and it's always a balance uh, between, you know, what level of, let's say, even false negatives are you willing to accept to reduce a false positive rate? And this comes down to, you know, uh, what kind of customer ex- customer experience do you want to have? Would you rather take some fraud losses um, to create a better customer experience to avoid any false positives? Or maybe you want to avoid all fraud losses and maybe um, some portion of your customers to go through this extra manual review stage. And this is usually a conversation we have with many of our, many of our customers. And we take into account things like, what's the cost of a bad business outcome here? You know, if this is a business loan worth half a million dollars, it's okay to you know add a little bit more friction. But if you're setting up, you know, a new fintech consumer app, you really don't want any uh, any friction in that process. So you're willing to take a bit of fraud loss. Yeah, if you're if it's a hundred dollar micro loan, you can't exactly afford to spend a lot of time trying to manually review it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Yep. Well, as a reminder, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Equip Bid Auctions, an online marketplace dedicated to growing small auction businesses. They're solving problems and providing a fun re-commerce or liquidation shopping experience to valued bidders. Go check out their incredible offers, uh, offerings and sign up at equip-bid.me slash startup. Um, and there's a link in the show notes. So I'm curious as, so it sounds like you guys are solving a real problem, right? And um I'm curious. So, how does your guys's company growth been over the last five years? You know, who who is um, who have you seen adopting and using this type of technology? I'm I'm curious if you have any great you know case studies or you know how 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 has that went from a growth perspective? Yeah, great question. You know, I think startup journeys are all different, and you know, I think I would categorize the first two years or so of Inscribe as just really about us learning the problem and working with a few select partners. Um, really to work with them and try to figure out uh, is this solvable from a technical perspective and then yeah over the last last couple of years we've had the opportunity to work with some really great 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 companies across you know uh, many sectors of financial services so some of the top crypto platforms top payments platforms and you know some of the um, more recent um, you know corporate credit card businesses so companies like ramp that have you know experienced massive growth over the last couple of years um, as well as the more traditional um, they, um, you know, business lenders like Bluevine or Cabbage, who have been you know longtime users of Inscribe. Um, so we we don't have the stats yet, but um, we do have quite a lot of um, coverage across the US. So if you're maybe a consumer or a business, um, it's reasonably likely that you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, a large portion of you know people in the US would have um, you know applied to a financial service which has used Inscribe at one point or another. Wow, that's awesome! Huge, I mean that that's a huge, uh, huge success for you, right? I mean that that's awesome. Congrats on that. So, has your guys's product changed over time? I mean, do you now have like multiple different products? Are you guys focused on, you know, really like one kind of core product, or do you kind of see the product suite changing to be to doing different things? Yeah. So. We, we have this kind of like internal saying of like, we're trying to make financial services less annoying. And, you know, documents was like the first part that was like the most, that was a big cause of bottlenecks behind the scenes. 
uh, that was actually just really annoying for consumers. And as a as a company, we're we're always on the lookout for like, okay, what else is causing these really bad consumer experiences or experiences for businesses? And um, over the last couple of years, we've kept on you know asking that question to to our customers. You know, what's causing these bottlenecks? And uh, of course, document fraud detection was one part, and we've since expanded to like uh, as I said, document automation. So um, doing extracting information from the documents and automating that part as well. But uh, a new kind of problem we've been tackling lately is this idea of like credit analysis, uh, which is more on the underwriting side. So when you, let's say, when you apply for a loan, you give all the information, um, data or analysis has to be run to determine, you know, what size should a uh, loan be? How much credit should they be given? And this is a problem that we've learned that we initially thought was quite automated, but actually behind the scenes in a lot of financial service companies, this kind of question of how much should uh, be lent to a particular person or business uh, it's actually quite manual. So this is another problem that we're trying to uh, speed up. And just for some rough numbers here, you can think of if you apply for a business loan, let's say at a very traditional bank, it could take four weeks, could take eight weeks for, for them to get back to you. And, you know, a big part of that is doing an analysis of the data to understand, um, you know, how, what, what's your credit worthiness. And that's the next problem we're trying to create. And we feel, you know, over the next... Um, you know, year or so, we're going to keep on looking and in years in the future, keep on looking for these problems, keep on looking for these bottlenecks um, that will hopefully, you know, anytime in, in, you know, five, 10 years time when you're applying for, you know, any kind of financial service good, there's no more of these bottlenecks behind the scenes. Well, and you mentioned, I think you mentioned cabbage earlier, right? So, I mean, that's a huge difference of using something like cabbage versus going to Bank of America or whatever, right? You can go on cabbage's website and get like an instant um, decision you know, around your loan, which is so different compared to the traditional way you just described, you know, most of it. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. And what, what, is, what is interesting, you know, majority of our customers today are actually fintechs. So are the actual most technically savvy customers. But yet we find that there's still a surprising amount of manual work going on behind the scenes. Um, so for example, yeah, Cabbage is one of our customers and um They've uh, they've been using a platform for a number of years, and we've been able to you know help them automate um, you know large parts of fraud or, uh, fraud detection on documents. So I see in my notes here it said you guys use AI for your fraud detection. So I feel like everybody says they use AI, and I feel like it, <laughs> most of it yeah. is just some kind of algorithm somewhere with a few if statements. So I was just curious, you guys really use AI? Did you like have to learn a lot about AI over the last five years yourself, like actually building real AI algorithms? Yeah, you know, this kind of started with just a problem domain in general. You know, fraud detection is just really well suited to machine learning. And um, if you think of the problem of um, lots of data, um, there's a few anomalous um, artifacts within the data. Uh, training an algorithm or tra training a model to detect those is a really great great way to generalize. So the way we've um, you know used machine learning at Inscribe is, um, you know, first of all, really try to understand what problem you're trying to build this model to do. So for example, um, at Inscribe we have a whole host of models that all do various different jobs. So for example, um, when we first receive a piece of data from our customer or like let's say a document, we first ask what is this document. So is this, you know, a bank statement? Is it a utility bill? Is it a tax document? And, you know, this is a problem, again, that's really, this is your, your quintessential classification problem of um, here's, 
let's say if you get a million documents, uh, classify these into buckets of, you know, into one of these 10 types. And, you know, you could go try with, like I will say, an if else or basically, um, you know, a piece of tech here probably could get you maybe 20, 30 spent it away. But to get, you know, 99% plus coverage or uh, really, really accurate and fast results, uh, machine learning really helped there. And um, on the fraud side too, as well, uh, with things like our trust score, um, having having the ability to, um, let's say, if you have like millions of documents and a large portion of those are fraudulent and you know what features you want to look for to determine if it's fraudulent or not, and then you have your customers essentially label the data to be able to say, yeah, this is fraudulent, this is not. Um, we can relate our customers' feedback to our own fraud detectors to essentially determine um, which are the most effective fraud detectors, uh, which ones are most likely to actually be fraud. And again, this is another really good challenge or really good application of machine learning where uh, you can have this large labeled data um, data set and just apply a model on top of that. And that's been you know another really effective use for us. So um, a lot of your customers do that? So if you sign somebody up like, cabbage or whatever and they're like oh we've done a hundred thousand loans would they go back and give you all their history and and tell you like okay these are all all these were not fraud and these are the ones we know that we processed in the past that were fraud and then you label all those and feed them in to further train your algorithm is that is that usually how that how that works yeah. as part of the onboarding yeah so uh in the ideal case that's uh that's how it happens and i will say um we don't require all of our customers to do that. And even actually from our own perspective, we don't need all of our customers to do that. Uh, there is definitely, you know, diminishing returns um, uh, for like, um, for this label data. So as long as you have coverage across all the main use cases and so on, um, you can um, get a pretty good sense of, you know, what's fraudulent across each industry. Yeah, so I've never done much with AI and I've, I've always wanted to. So I think that's really cool. I think the... The classification is a, is a rather simple example, and I think that that makes great sense. I think a lot of people can understand that, right? It's like I've got PDF documents. I got to figure out what kind of PDF documents they are. So I was, I was curious, what what else do you guys do with AI that helps helps do that um, in your processes? You know, different models and stuff. That is it. You know, is it getting into like their income and their credit report versus what they're asking for a loan and like, how do you, what kind of AI models help with that kind of stuff? I'm just kind of curious outside of the classification. Yeah. Um, so on the, let's say, um, credit side or income side, we don't actually ask customers for, you know, what was the income that was, um, you know, asked for, let's say, but what we do instead is try to tell our customers what income this particular applicant was. So let's say in the case of a bank statement, uh, what we do first here is, let's say you can just imagine you've been given a bank statement and you need to extract all the information from it. So what we've done there is we've developed a few models that look for things like, let's say, uh, the opening balance, ending balance, and all the transactions. So you can imagine for a human to, um, let's say, read a bank statement, that's quite easy. You know, you can see here's the date, here's the description, here's the amount. But to train a machine learning model to do this on like all bank statements uh, in the United States across all formats automatically within seconds, is really really difficult and that this has been another really great application and um over the last i'd say maybe two years there's just been this proliferation of um i guess new models that have made this now possible i, I actually even say two years ago 
the features we developed in Scribe just wouldn't have been possible because the technology and the knowledge just wasn't there. So uh, models like uh, or transformer-based models, um, big natural language models that have been you know released by um, like public or like I guess uh, research labs like Facebook, uh, Facebook or Google or OpenAI, are really um, I guess enable this I guess new generation of models that now can do these tasks like extract a name, description, balance, uh, outer bank same automatically. Um, and yeah, in terms of, um, you know, other models, then we also have, um, yeah, like ways to, let's say, determine, um, if you get it, let's say a business bank statement and you've all these like debits and our incomes coming in, how do you determine actually which is revenue versus which is, let's say, um, just like other money coming into a business. And that's again, right. another good challenge for, um, uh, a machine learning model or some kind of algorithm to determine that. And again, it, with all these challenges, what's really interesting is like humans are really good at this stuff and we're often compared against human performance, but what, and what we really want to do is actually get superhuman level. So first reach human level, but then gets to superhuman level. And, um, that's really the challenge our engineering team has, you know, week in, week out is how do we get the right data? How do we get the right models? And, um, how can we keep on, you know, pushing ourselves to get better than this human level performance? So some of those AI models seem like things that a lot of people could take advantage of just like, you know, analyzing a picture and it tells you like what's in the picture and, you know, things like Amazon web services and Azure now that provide different AI models that kind of do some of that stuff out of the box. Right. Um, you give it a picture and it tell you, Oh, there's a chair in it or there's a car in it or there's a human in it or whatever. Right. But so for some of the stuff you're describing is any of that off the shelf, like, Oh, I can give it a document. It'll tell me the type of document or it'll know it's a bank statement and it'll automatically read that out or or you guys had to like invent all of that yeah we we we've definitely used like um some open source like um frameworks but yeah all the models we've developed are are built internally and this is really based on just a requirement for high performance from our customers we we often find that a lot of off-the-shelf uh, models just uh, they just don't get that level of accuracy so they may you know 50 60 percent accurate but our customers require, you know, much higher levels of 95, 99 and so on. And yeah, that's just required us to um, build internally, specialize, scope the problem better as well. That's, that's often the thing that a lot of these off-the-shelf platforms struggle with is like trying to scope it to a particular use case. And um, it just, it is understandably like a much harder problem if you don't have some of those restrictions. But yeah, at Inscribe, we've kind of limited the scope of some of our models um, to contain the problem. And that has allowed us to get you know, much higher performance rates. So is your guys' business primarily in the US or do you have a lot of customers outside the United States? It's primarily the US, but I would say, you know, twenty about 20% of our customer base is outside the US. Um, so it, it is definitely like a global problem and we are, you know, excited about uh, helping customers elsewhere in the world too. Well, most, most people don't really think about this, but there are other countries around the world um, that, People, there's no, not even such thing as a credit report. You know, you know our our company Fullsco, we have like 300 employees in the Philippines, and there's no such thing as a credit report there. You can't get somebody's like social security number and even check a credit report. And like, I think like 70 percent of the population there doesn't even have a bank account, right? So there's, I, I can only imagine doing fraud hmm. detection there would have would have to be so different and so so much more uh, complicated to to do compared to here, like, Hey, at least you have, you know, credit reports and other, a lot of like online databases you can get information from. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think financial services is particularly unique in that there's um, such differences and contrasts between country to country and in terms of like regulation, consumer habits, um, technology, um, culture, even. Uh, yeah, credit ports is a great example. Um, even even credit cards, let's say, uh, you know, I'm from Ireland and the idea of credit cards just isn't really a big deal. Um, I personally have, you know, uh, never had a credit card or taken out a loan. <laughs> so um, even though I'm in fintech um, and yeah, I think that big cultural difference is, is, is interesting even just between, you know, uh, Ireland and US. But yeah, if you go further afield to, you know, in Asia and Africa, there's definitely even like different cultural differences there as well. So you said in Ireland, a lot of people don't use credit cards or they only use credit cards? Uh, they don't. So it's um, it's not very common. There is definitely, you know, there is definitely credit cards in Ireland, but it's just not like a big cultural uh, thing. So, uh, and if, you know, for people who do have credit cards, they're often, um, uh, you know, paid off pretty quickly and they don't, uh, you know, keep a keep a balance running, et cetera. So they just use debit cards instead or or they just use cash? Uh, de- debit cards. Debit cards. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what do you see as kind of the, the future for you guys and, and your company? Where do, where do you see this going over the next few years? Are you, um, where do you, where do you see this going? Yeah. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, I think the big opportunity here is how can we, how can we create, how can we enable financial services companies to create these great customer experiences? So you can think of all these companies, like let's say Chime and Coinbase and, um, even on the business side, like Cabbage. Uh, really providing excellent experiences from, I say, let's say the front end of um, financial services to stack. What we're really interested in is like from the back end, how can we enable some of these great customer experiences and um, tackling these bottlenecks behind the scenes? So over the next couple of years, we're we're super excited about continue to help our current customer base just um, solve more of these bottlenecks, um, but also expand to um, slightly adjacent markets and um, ex- expand geographically too as well so we're, we're seeing um you know i guess like three axis of growth for us you know one across like the the features um and like adding more functionality but within fraud detection but also outside of fraud detection and uh, to tackle these bottlenecks um then to also some industry so we've been primarily focused on smb lending and personal lending we're also uh yeah we're looking to go much deeper in areas like um you know payments crypto and and so on and then lastly yeah as we kind of hinted at we're primarily in the um, United States, but yeah, uh, we see massive opportunity in Europe as well. So you mentioned crypto and, and Coinbase and stuff. So do you guys also get involved with like KYC, like know your customer kind of stuff? Yeah, exactly. So there's country primary use cases. Yeah, one as we've been talking about is like underwriting, but yeah, KYC and KYB is the other big use case. So we do have you know many customers using actually, actually for both, so both KYC, KYB and underwriting. Uh, but yeah, we do have many customers just using us for KYC and KYB as well. So you can think here, you know, let's say proof of address documents, proof of business ownership. Um, anytime really you're applying documents to a financial services company, we can usually help out there. Okay. Well, once again, this episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by our friends over at Equip Bid Auctions. Join, sell, and earn. It's that easy with Equip Bid Auctions. Become an affiliate and start or grow your independent business by visiting Equip dash bid dot me slash startup today even easier head to startup hustle dot xyz and click on the partners page um, look for equip bid um, and everything you need to to start your own business is there and ready to go um, 
Well, as we round out the show today, I was, I was curious, do you have any other final tips or, or words of wisdom for, for our listeners? It doesn't have to be about fraud, but just about, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and business or, or anything you'd love to share? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I said one tip that I've always come back to and I often say to our team as well is just really try to build great relationships relationships with your with your users and your and your and your customers. You know, they have so many insights that they um that they love to share. And you know, if you're able to help them in any way, I think that's just a great way great way of building business. And that's something we've really kind of cherished at Inscribe is like try to really get to know our users and um that can make, you know, a lot of other parts of your business so much easier um and yeah that's kind of like one tip i definitely recommend to your listeners I, d- I definitely appreciate it. it's like a little bit cliched but if you really take it to heart it, it can go a long way well honestly I, I think a lot of companies struggle with that where they don't actually spend enough time talking to their customers and their users to really understand their problem and they they just act like they know them but they don't really truly understand them you know yeah, you know, I think complacency uh, when you, especially after you initially understand the problem you're solving, um, complacency can like quickly creep in. Uh, so yeah, constantly fighting against that, like discovering new problems your customers have, discovering you know new insights they have, is um, yeah super important. All right, well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Again, this was Connor Burke with Inscribe, and um, if you want to learn more about Inscribe, you can go to inscribe.ai that's i-n-s-c-r-i-b-e dot a-i um well connor thank you so much for being on the show today thanks for having me it was fun chatting all right right, take care startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button then come find us on instagram see you next time